From St. Petersburg in Brooklyn. This is She's in Russia, I'm Lily. And I'm Sam. And who's the special guest today, Lily? A special. Andrei Kanyaev. Andrei Kanyaev is joining us today. Yeah, and he does a lot of cool shit. He's the founder and editor in chief of N Plus One. He has a very popular podcast. And what else does he do? He co hosts the podcast. Yeah. And um, like us. And <laughs> he, just like us, just how we are very popular. It's exactly the same as ours. <laughs> separate Russian um and he also apparently knows a lot about comedy but we're gonna let him introduce himself all over again. Ah. my name is Andre uh, I'm an editor-in-chief of uh, popular science magazine and at the same time I have I have to do a lot with the comedy in Russia both with stand-up and not stand-up comedy uh, like I did a lot of stuff during past 10 years so that's why I'm in your podcast I think um, you're on a podcast just because you're a cool person and oh. I didn't actually know that you were as involved with comedy as you are that's really cool because that's what we want to talk about that's so sweet You, I mean you're a good liar actually I almost <laughs> believed you <laughs> It's true. Um, yeah, so... Wait, and yeah, I just want to say for reference, because N plus one, I feel like, is kind of famous. The science magazine is N plus one, if people know that. And and that's the Russian N plus one, which is bigger and better than the American N plus one. And we will... Um, we're, we have a question about it, so we can get into that later. Okay. My first question is just, I wanted to kind of talk about, like, the overall landscape of the comedy industry in Russia, because, like, I don't really know it very well. So like could you do you think you could describe what that is? Like what, what do we have? We have like stand up okay. and I can yeah. I can try to do that. Okay. Do you do you like know in general where stand up comedy actually comes from? No. no? Do you tell? Okay, it comes from uh, English music halls. Do you know what music hall is? No. Is that like a cabaret? Almost. Yes. It's a form of entertainment where people sit around, eat stuff, like food and are being entertained. Cabaret is a form of music hall. It involves naked women. Uh, but music hall is not necessary about naked women. There's a variety of things which, which can happen on the stage. Like people, people can show tricks, people can show magic. And sometimes one person comes up, if we live in the 18th century, I'm telling you like we live in the 18th century, okay, but one person comes up and starts telling jokes. Like, maybe they are funny, maybe not. But actually, uh, in the beginning, the idea was that this person has to fill in uh, the gaps between the, like, real entertainment, right? Because, uh, uh, because if like you want... Like an MC. Yeah, because if you want, like, for... Like, if you want horses on the stage, right? And then the next, next uh, thing is, like, I don't know, uh, something about gymnastics, right? So you need to switch things up. But you can't do that, like, stop the, you can, cannot stop the entertainment. So you have to go on. And this person comes up and starts telling jokes, like, to entertain the public. Like, by the end of the 19th century, we already had the entire uh, genre. So people will come up on the stage and tell the jokes, and they talk with the audience. And that's where, actually, where we get, like, the comedy stand-up. Things change after the World War. Uh, too, because we have television, and the bad thing about music halls was that um, people could do one number for a number of years. So they have a couple of jokes, and they tell them every Friday night for like three years in a row. <laughs> and it was okay because, because like, uh, no one goes to the same um, music hall twice. So basically, uh, when the television came up, they started to film this music hall stuff, and the genre almost died because uh, people were not ready to come up with fresh jokes. At the same time, uh, they had similar things that appeared in the working men's clubs, like where people drink. Uh, and there, people have 
had to come up with a number of jokes quite fast because the you know, the crowd was almost every time the same because the clubs were small. But what, what they took the, from music halls is that uh, they talk with the audience, they talk about important stuff, and they try to make them laugh and entertain them. So that's what, where the stand-up uh, comedy kicks in. So basically what we, when we talk about American stand-up, we're talking about working clubs uh, from which people uh, move to the television and the stand-up in the form like we see today was born. In the Soviet Union, nothing like that happened. Actually, uh, the stand-up, if you can call it, we uh, had uh, inherited from uh, British music halls. So basically, there were a number of artists which come up on the stage and do like huge shows, like real concerts. With uh, They were talking to people, like doing miniatures, uh, doing voices, doing slapstick comedy, sometimes using masks to change their appearance and do voices again. And uh, these uh, concerts, they were like, in Soviet Union, all the culture, it was very concentrated in one point, actually, in Moscow. So what they did, they come up with a fresh concert and then start touring all over the uh, Soviet Union. After like two years of touring, they come back and make another concert. That's what happened till the 1990s happened, actually. At this point, uh, like everything fresh, everything new, and from the, basically everything we could get from the West, we got it. And people saw that there is another way. You can come up with a short stories, you always change your material. And what, what is more important, you need to think on your feet. See, it's, you don't have like a year in preparation for your huge concert, right? You don't tour around in tour buses and you don't have like that huge infrastructure. All you need is a microphone yourself and you do that. So uh, the stand-up was born somewhere around 2000 something when first stand up uh, stand up venues appeared. It, it, it wasn't they were not specifically stand up. It was usually a bar with a stand up uh, scene for like a couple of nights, like two three nights a week, and then people will just do music and whatever they do. The first stand up uh, store, which was specifically dedicated to stand up, appeared in uh, can't really say like five years ago something uh, it, it, it's it was called uh, it is called stand-up store number one because it was first actually and uh, this um, store was uh, it was a thing uh, there is a guy uh, who is into stand-up and he's trying to do stand-up himself but he does more for organizing stand-up he has money because his father is rich but he uses this money not like to buy cars but he tries to build up a stand-up scene, and he's pretty successful in it. So Wait, that, Sorry, what did you... It's called a store? Yes, stand-up store. And this is, like, a guy who's not... Like, is he famous now? Um, a little bit. Among the people that uh, go to this stand... I'm sorry, not stand-up store. Stand-up store is the second one, which appeared a year <laughs> ago. That, that's called stand-up club number one. Stand-up club. Mm. I correct myself. Sorry. So uh, uh, he's quite famous, and he's actually the one that brought Godfrey, if we talk about Godfrey. Uh, okay. So the Godfrey appears in the story as a guest star for the five-year anniversary of stand-up club, number one. Uh. He was brought to, to Russia by these people, and uh, he did some shows here, like one or two, and went to different uh, interviews and stuff. But actually, it was about that. Uh, the other thing is a stand-up store. Stand-up store. It's a, another club which formed around people that were doing stand-up around the same time, but in totally different place on the television. We do have an interesting channel. It's called TNT. We have that also. <laughs> yeah, it's different TNT. Um, the the other TNT. Um, the thing about this channel, it's it says a lot of degrading shows, like really, 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 really degrading. But at the same time, well, we, they have like the longest running, like the most, like the dumbest show you've ever seen. It's called Don Dwa. Mm. It's like, imagine Jersey Shore, 
but it happens already for 12 years. It's a reality TV show. A reality TV show. Okay. Every, every day you have two or three episodes. And um, like people, they do not look like people from Jersey Shore. They look like people from Russia. <laughs> okay. You can even imagine the extent of this show. They do have their own ecosystem right now. They're huge. I watch them almost every day. <laughs> Wait, I have, a, I have a question. Well, it's two specific questions, but the, the first is about this reality TV show. I feel like that kind of style of reality TV show, at least in America, has kind of entered this like uh, irony circle where like maybe people watch those sort of things, but in like a specific way where there's like a lot of ironically. meta. Ironically, but maybe even past that where there's like a lot of meta commentary and it's less like you're really sucked into the drama and you're more curious about like discussing it. Do you think that Russia is to that stage with reality TV or it's still in the first stage? I like, I like when, when, when we talk about meta comments, like, you know, that, that irony is the way for you to lie to yourself. When you say, well, I do not watch it seriously. I watch <laughs> yeah. it in irony, but you actually do not. You watch it. You are sucked into it. See, you like it. You like it, but you're too afraid to tell it even to yourself, not even to your friends. I mean, come on, seriously. But you're afraid to tell it to yourself, so you come up with an excuse. Well, you say, I, I, I watch this ironically. So I'm not doing like this for, for fun. No, I watch every episode like of this show for the past 10 years just because for some... Because I'm an anthropologist. <laughs> yeah, that's, just that's to study anthropology the shit, right? No, no, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not lying to myself. I'm sucked into this bullshit really <laughs> see that's that's a bad part and then uh, but i can do nothing about it. i know all the names i like keep track of all the characters i know shit that i i'm not supposed to know but well i can i i can do nothing about that i'm sucked into it well i you know i don't lie to lie about my uh, uh, i don't lie to myself saying that it's an ironic way you know and then my, my other question was about Godfrey. Uh, so I assume that he performed in English. And I'm wondering, like, is that a common thing where where these comedy clubs in Moscow will have people come and perform in English? No, it's it's not a common thing. Uh, and it, it's more, more of exception. But uh, in case of Godfrey, he was in, he was interesting, not to the like common people, you know, because uh, you need to understand that people in Russia, they, they're very bad if we talk about English. Very, the percentage of people who can like understand English when someone talks to them is like less than 3%. So uh, when we talk about shows, all the Godfrey shows, they, they were more for stand-up guys, the guys that do stand up. Because what he shows, he shows like uh, how it's supposed to be done. You understand that? Like, he he has lots of things. People, it it will take them like years to come up with a, some leaks that he has. So the way he talks, the way he uh, expresses himself, the way he puts him on the himself on the stage, that's all very important. It's more of an, an educational thing, not like a real. It wasn't like a real stand up hit or whatever. Mm. did it go over well like I, I'm just curious because I feel like stand-up is such a culturally specific medium no, it's not no no it's not that well the my, my previous uh, the, the entire like previous section of my talk <laughs> was, de was dedicated to the fact that stand-up itself is something cross-cultures it, it's a uh, it is actually cultural sections uh, it doesn't care what type of culture you have. But don't you think the content can be very culturally specific? Like, for example, like people, people, the jokes that people make are because they're like in a certain society and like making fun of that society or commenting on it. It's like, or they do political commentary. I think that's what you mean by like being culturally, culturally specific. specific. Like, yeah. how would a person in Moscow, like, or a person speaking English, like, are they? trying to like relate to the people in moscow and like joke about their inner context or like see that's yeah. what what you're what you're trying to say is you say well it's a, it's basically a philosophical question actually is humor is rooted in our 
context or is it something universal? Well, basically, we're talking about the question that people have been asking themselves like for a couple of thousand years. You know, it's not <laughs> like that we were talking over the Skype and came up with this awesome question. Let's discuss it, right? <laughs> well, basically, there is no answer for that. Some people say that, yes, it's all about context. So if you don't know context, you cannot appreciate the humor. But if you look at the Godfrey's stand-ups, some of them are funny even for Russians because even if you translate translate some of his jokes into Russian, they're still funny. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, he has an awesome stand-up about how he comes out of the yoga class. Didn't you say that? No, we probably didn't. Well, there is, there is a fun, there's an awesome joke when he says, then I come up with my yoga mat. And then I open my yoga mat. It goes like this. Yes, I have a long yoga mat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it works the same way in Russian. You translate it like word by word and it's funny. Yeah. And I guess it, the, the whole like context specific thing, you can, it can be context specific and it cannot. And you can like right. work with whatever you, you want. Yeah. Like, like... I, I mean, you can't get laugh uh, when you joke about Donald Trump here. You know, we have a way better president than you do. Do you? <laughs> well, in, in terms of things to joke around, yes, we do. He's like 18 years in power. He's like old. He, he's like uh, destroyed uh, almost all the entire independent medias. Several journalists are killed. Look how many, uh, how many potential jokes there are. I mean, Donald Trump didn't even start it. Yeah, it's true. I hear what you're saying. Though he's also old. Well, yeah, <laughs> they all soon die. I, I hope so. Yeah, same. Okay, so I'll finish up with a stand-up. Yeah, yeah, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. So finally, we have uh, the second stand-up story. It's, it's the TNT degrading channel, Don Dwa. But what do they actually have? They are very, mm, you, you know, they're very brave. They are the only TV channel and all the channels in Russia. They are basically controlled by the whether by government directly or by government using like corporations, you know, like government owns Gazprom and Gazprom owns Gazprom Media and it owns TNT. So basically you have like these nested, nested Russian dolls, but basically every time the bigger doll, the biggest doll is always the government. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but they are very brave. They allowed a couple of guys to do like stand up and they started with a similarly like, um, they jokes, they were not very sharp, like, I, I forgot the English uh, word for that. Ostry? Mm. What do you want to say? Yes, ostry. Pointed, cutting? Yeah, like, like being, a contra- it's like sort of critical. Has feeling yeah. of critical or controversial. Yes, yeah. controversial, yeah. Okay. let's use this word. They were not controversial. Like yes, they were not that at all, but for the, for the time being, they are now becoming more and more uh, controversial. And basically, the guys that do this stand-up on television, they do have their own store where they allow themselves to do more, to say more. And this is this store, uh, is called Stand-Up Store. Uh, this stand-up club is quite famous. That's where we, uh, Timur, the one, the guy we do uh, the podcast with, he is from this stand-up store, from the second uh, venue. Okay. So that's it. Next question. <laughs> I know this is like a hard question, but I wanted to ask, like, do you think that there is something that some characteristics that are particular to a Russian or like maybe Soviet sense of humor that you could point to versus like having spent time in America versus an American sense of humor? Like, are there anything, is there anything specific? Russian humor is very dark. Okay. Yes, it's always dark. It's, it's a... The sense of fun, it always comes from the different things for different people. And it turns out that people who live in the Soviet Union, they were generally unhappy with their lives. So the sense of fun for them comes from the morbid things. They, there are a lot of jokes about death. There are a lot of jokes about jail. There are lots of fun about, I don't know, terrorism. See, we allow ourselves, I mean... Um, for example, joke like this, you can cut it out if you're afraid. Do you know why why Allah is the real true God? Why? Because the universe started with a big bang. 
Oh no. <laughs> Wait, this is the kind of thing that like this is like a joke that is would be made now. Yes, in, definitely. Like, the, the, yes. The yes. Well, it's fun. It's funnier in Russian because in Russian, Big Bang. It's not Big Bang. It's a, in Russian. It's a direct translation is a big explosion. So it's uh -huh. it's a little bit more more direct. Direct. Because yeah. Big Bang is well, Bang. No Big Bang Theory. Same thing uh, happens now. It's not like we are the land of the happy. See what I did there? Land of the free against the land of the happy. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah, <laughs> that was kind of lame. Yeah, I know that. But still, uh, that was uh, that is why it's, it's dark. It's dark. It's sometimes aggressive, aggressive, and uh, and and does that humor tend to play well with a Russian crowd or like? Because I can imagine that kind of not specifically like the Allah joke, but like darker humor in the U.S. Like sometimes it plays well, and sometimes I've seen crowds get like uncomfortable if somebody goes too dark. Have you seen that happen? I've never seen anyone go too uncomfortable. When, yeah. well, for example, uh, we do have, uh, we not only do podcasts, we do live shows with Timur mm -hmm. and Nurlan. Nurlan is a guy, another guy from a stand up store. He's quite famous also. I, I'm like the one which is not famous for his comedy. I'm not a comedian, so I just stay there on the stage. So we do we do that like uh, together, and they come up with a joke. So I try to pin them down with a conversation and stuff like that. And for example, uh, we did uh, the show on Thursday, I guess. And um, uh, we did discuss shootings in schools. Mm -hmm. It was it was part of the conversation. It was part of jokes. Because we do have now shootings in Russia, if you don't know. We had, we heard like the first one in Kerch, which is actually yeah. in Crimea, which I think is so fucking ironic. I mean, seriously. So we took Crimea from the Ukraine, and now what do we have? Like the first shooting in Russia. Awesome. Good job. Give it back. Good job, <laughs> Vladimir Putin. Good job. But you don't think that's like we we actually talked about that shooting on a different episode. But you don't think that's like causal, right? You think it's just a coincidence? No, it's not about cause. Cause is always different. I'm just saying that's the topic, which came up and was used in the live show. Yeah. And it was well received by the crowd. So that that's yeah. what I'm saying. Nothing more. Do you, did you have you like um, when you were in the U.S. Did you did you see? Live comedy actually doesn't really matter. Do you watch? Do you watch comedy like U.S. comedy? You know, when I, when I was in the U.S., it was a very long time ago. It's not like in years, a long time. It was eighteen years ago, but okay. it, it was okay. like different United States. And you need to know that I was staying. Uh, I I was uh, in the United States like as an exchange student, and I stayed in the city of Bochito. It's a nice city. I'm using the word city in ironic way right now because there are like 800 people there in Bochito. Whoa. And it was... Where is that? What state? What? It's Oklahoma. Oh, my God. Whoa, wait. How do... That's a crazy... That's what they do with work-study. They like go... They just said different... you Is that what you were doing, right? Yeah. No, I was doing flex. It's It's when you go as a school uh, student. I was a senior... And Rock Creek High oh. School, you know, no, oh some. Oh, it was in it was in high school. Yeah, wow. definitely yes. Some serious Whoa. shit. Wow, that is serious. Yeah, that Oklahoma, is serious. Small town. I Damn. think that's smaller than my town. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that has teeny tiny. That's like you know everybody. Wow, <laughs> cool. That's like as big as a high school. Yeah. Almost, oh almost. Like you need to. People from uh, people went to this high school like from. A couple of towns around so, so it wasn't mm. like we, we were like an important town because high school was in our town not in the <laughs> other towns right. it was right. awesome so what i did there i did um listen to some i can't remember his name actually uh comedian he has that um one-liners like you might be right you might be a redneck if have you ever heard of him I've heard those jokes. I don't know who. Yeah, he's he's the one that. who came up with them. It's like real uh, southern thing. You know? Okay. It's hard hard to explain, but they were so funny. 
they were so funny because they were rooted in the things I could see around me. Wait, I wanted you, I, when you introduced yourself, you didn't talk about your podcast. So maybe you could just summarize real quick what the podcast is. Well, our podcast is simple. We do talk. We uh, invite guests from different with the different backgrounds. We do have some, we did have a uh, political prisoner, Alek Navalny, the brother of Alexei Navalny. At some point, we had Kass. This guy uh, was sentenced to 10 years in prison for the cocaine possession. Mm. And yes, it, it's, it's, it, it was an interesting, it was a very interesting conversation because it was about like keeping your shit together when life is against you, you know, and that's what he did. And it, it, it's an interesting that he stayed a very wholesome person. He didn't come up with all that, you know, jaily stuff around him. And he's, he's very bright and he's actually very, very light as a person. Because mm -hmm. what, what he started our conversation was, uh, he said, well, guys, you understand, like, I uh, will be saying a lot of, I'll be telling you today a lot of stories during our conversation, but I'm sorry, most of the stories take place in prison. That is because, like, I spent the, the last five years, so I didn't have anything else to do. So the stories will be about prison. It wasn't like for them, for him as a, a source of bragging, but it is a, some sort of excuse. See, right. it doesn't feel yeah. right that he tells all these stories about prison. And he's very famous because what he did, he did Twitter from the prison. He became famous Twitter guy from the prison. He started with a very few followers and he has a couple of 10,000, like 50,000 or something followers and he gained them during prison. It, yeah, you cannot, you're not allowed to use a cell phone actually in the prison. Yeah, how, so, how did he do that? Well, illegally. Testing, testing. Okay, I'm just piping in here. This is Smith in the editing phase of the episode. Just wanted to say that we had a few technical difficulties while we were recording, mainly because Skype kind of still sucks, and my computer never has enough space. So the rest of the episode is a little bit different audio quality than you might be used to, and my voice might be a little quiet, so apologies for that. The hardest guest uh, up to date was on Tuesday. Uh, last week we did her. It's uh, her name is Alessia Gerasimenko. She's like the, the most renowned journalist in Russia in terms of the quality of her texts and uh, the number of awards she has. She's like the, the best uh, journalist we have uh, right now. And, well, emotionally, emotionally, it was very hard because she came with a story uh, about um, uh, how people... Um, that people take loans to celebrate their weddings. You see the concept, right? So you take a loan, but you don't take a loan like to buy a house or a car or to celebrate a wedding. And she was telling these stories about the loans and they all, because that's like the nature of uh, the storytelling, they all add badly and badly, like people kill themselves. And this is this is like a trend that has been happening specifically with what? Yes, yes, and and the, her idea was she, she was she was able to find like lots of stories very easily, because it turns out that people like people that don't live in Moscow, like big cities, they see over the television. I don't know. They have that dream about big wedding. Like it's supposed to be really big. It's supposed to be like white dresses, like cars, limousines. They're supposed to be horses and stuff. Well, actually, like a carriage of horses uh, can cost you more than you make monthly. So what they do, they take a loan. and This loan can like be their income in uh, three years or five years. And uh, they go to the basically to the legal loan sharks, like to the small banks that don't do background checking a lot, can give you a loan of such magnitude, because if you go to the large bank, they won't give you money. Like they say, well, how are you going to pay? The monthly payment is just larger than your monthly income, right? It, it doesn't end, add up. And then people, uh, people start paying and they do these 
couple of jobs and they're trying to finish their loan and then uh, you're very in very vulnerable okay you're vulnerable i don't know you get a disease you break a leg your company gets closed uh, you get fired and you you end up with a huge debt and the only thing you can do is go to your car start it and kill yourself or hang or walk out the window because you cannot uh, make ends meet. And that, that's, a, that's a tragedy. And this tragedy is around us. And she was talking about this. She's, uh, she does a lot of uh, such stories. And she just, uh, in the end, there was a very strong moment that was like the first podcast we did with a drama inside. We, she, she came up with this format when you take a, when you take a text and you read it out loud. And this text, the idea is you read something you cannot ho- you cannot hold inside. You know, like when you listen to the f- favorite song, you just just need to sing, like <laughs> probably voiceless, just opening your mouth. But you just cannot let these words stay in your head. They just you just need to let them out. So basically, the idea was to pick up a text which has the same effect on you when you have these words in your head and just you just cannot just live with them you need to say them out loud and me and her we did uh, two texts i did um, an interesting well I, I i was i did something like very um, predictable i uh, did a poem uh, by videnski it's a very complicated um very complicated poet from the beginning of the last century. He's, uh, he writes his poems in a very complicated structure. See, and when you start to read them, it's very comp- it's very hard to read them out loud. Even Vidyansky himself, because when he was already doing these poems, they were recording uh, things. Uh, when you listen to how he reads his own poems, he does it really bad. <laughs> So, but these poems, he's uh, like the poem I did, you cannot just like keep it inside. So I, I read it out loud. And what she did, she read out loud the, the court's order on the bankruptcy of a woman. Uh, she was pronounced bankrupt. And she went. One of these loans. Yes. And she went over the loans. It, it was a huge list. Like, 15 different loans from 15 different uh, banks or smaller venues, which do loans. And as she was going over this list, every loan, after like a couple of them, you start to think about what is behind them. Because she starts with the large ones, the ones that she took for wedding. And then she goes to the smaller ones. And uh, as, as she's getting smaller, you understand that she's getting desperate. Because she's starting to get money from the organizations that, like, I don't know, uh, in Russian, which means, like, fast bucks, I don't know, like, which, which, give, you very, which uh, give you a loan very fast, but with a huge interest. And this court order, it, it really is like, you know, it paints a picture. It's not supposed to, because it's a court order. It's, it's not a dramatic in uh, in usual sense but if we start thinking about it after the conversation it really paints a morbid picture and it was the entire the entire podcast it was very uh, hard for me i was like i felt really bad the next day i was uh, i was like devastated i didn't have didn't feel that emotional um, emptiness let's call it this way for for quite some time really it, mm. it was it was really bad yeah well yeah uh, we also wanted to ask you about m plus one when was it founded i was one i was working in lentaru actually it was um uh in i i started working there in 2008 uh 10 years ago and it was actually one of the at that time it was one of the like probably the freest possible medias in russia at that time because it was in the internet, they didn't have, we didn't have newspaper and stuff. And at that time, people were thinking more about controlling like the regular media, right? Not the internet. At that time, Putin didn't know what the internet was. 
at all. And the president was Medvedev. And Medvedev liked internet, so we had like this uh, a, a little bit of uh, warming up. So I went there and I was working there for quite some time. It was a quite an experience. I did a lot of interesting things. I at some point I was doing interviews with the, like I don't know with Courtney Love. I did an interesting interview. Uh, yes, it was like like very interesting. She was like how to quote in, in English when when you you're drinking all night and the next day you feel hangover. Right, hangover, right. Yeah. She she was hungover and. Instead of like 10 minutes, we spoke for, for, for almost an hour. Uh, I did an interesting interview with uh, different people. And uh, I did some um, editorial work, like when you write uh, columns. It was also fun. I did science journalism. But then at one, at one point, there was a thing when um, the owner of uh, the Lentru, he decided to fire our editor-in-chief. It was because of the political reasons. It was in 2014, in March. And me, uh, like 50 people uh, out of the entire Lentaru, they we, we uh, how do you say, not get fired, but can you write? Well, quit. we quit. Thank you. I think I'm, I'm getting tired and I'm get, I'm starting to lose English words. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, we created. We, we um, it was a complicated moment for me. I had a kid. He was like nine months old, and I had to quit because of my principles. So I did that, and I started to uh, trying to do something with my life. And uh, that's when uh, N Plus One started as an idea, and I was able to found an investor. Wow. Uh, Yes, it was complicated, and we had a lot of complicated conversation with him because he at first thought of us as a toy that he can use to do whatever he wanted to do, and I didn't allow that. And at some point, we we did have a lot of clash with him, but he's okay. Uh, And then in 2015, I guess, we started in April, N plus one. And since then, we've been struggling. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm in living. Living, yeah. <laughs> you mean thriving. Yeah. I mean, because you guys actually, it is a really quite popular, seems. That's, that's kind of amazing. It seems like a lot of the people that quit Lenta, like, went on to do a lot of different things, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Because, well, you see, uh, it's very easy uh together talented people you know what is like the best way to gather talented people you offer them freedom mm-hmm. see that's that was the best point that was the best thing about uh, lenta at that time it was a freedom of you could do anything you want i mean seriously i was doing uh, my mm, section it was science and technology and i was like doing anything i want at some point I did an interview about string theory, and I came to the uh, editor-in-chief, Galia, and I said, well, it's a cool interview. She said, well, I read it, and I don't understand like half of that. I, I, I said, well, it's still cool. And she said, okay, let's put it like on the front page. <laughs> and we did that. And it was, it was like people heard it. I mean, the guys from like, different uh, we were part of the huge of a bigger companies called Rambler and people were writing like why do you put it on the front page I read I don't understand the words and I was that is probably because you're a moron <laughs> it's not because you're a moron not because you do not understand but because you think that everything that is put on the front page should be up to your level Mm-mm. see the difference right yeah. when I see something that I don't understand I try to understand like morons when they see something they don't understand they start to complain <laughs> that's yeah. the simplest way to find to recognize the moron easy yeah. so the perception now and I mean you kind of alluded to this earlier but the perception is that independent media in Russia faces 
existential threats, um, especially for those <laughs> that are doing like more investigative stuff, investigative stuff. So I'm wondering, like, as the editor in chief of a science publication, do you feel a similar thing, or is science in like some different territory? See, that's the difference. Like, when you say existential crisis, it's like uh, another. It's like you're trying to rephrase that we live in a very complicated uh, state. Right? Complicated state doesn't mean that we have a crisis in general. See, thing is that uh, media in the United States, uh, they do right now have a crisis of their own. See? Mm -hmm. They have a president, a new president, right? Which uh, does not respect the free speech. We did that already, like in the beginning of 90s. We never had a president that respected free speech. Never. Every time you try to do free speech here, you should be ready to face consequences. See? And it's, it's kind of the way you leave it. For me, it's okay. I do not see myself. See, the thing is, like usual editor-in-chief, like in the United States or in Russia, like if we talk about older people, they see themselves as generals. Like, you know, like the general of the army, they have army and they, uh, for, for them to be generals, they require certain amount of comfort because generals, they do not thrive in, uh, in the battlefield. They thrive in, uh, their own cabinets where they plan, uh, assaults, you know, but the way I see it is you need here, you need to think of you on your feet. You need to be faster. You need to be smarter. And you need to be in some way similar to Al-Qaeda, you know? <laughs> so I was like, not expecting that. Yeah. Okay. But basically, look at the way uh, guerrilla warfare is fought, if we talk about fighting. It's a number of small groups. And the strong part about them, that they is, they, each of them is weak. But all together, acting similar simultaneously, they are very. They provide a very strong force. The other thing for them is that they're easy to regroup. You cannot stop the uh, guerrilla warfare because it consists of single people. Same thing with media in Russia. I mean, you squish one media, you have ten smaller appear, and that's how it works. For example, I understand that at some point, for example, N plus one can be closed. Because we do write about, for example, drugs and the research on drugs. And it works until someone decides like, that science is not about drugs, science is about praising Vladimir Putin, right? So they say, well, you cannot write about drugs. And we will be closed. And I do see uh, that uh, possibility. But it's not, for me, it's not the thing I, I fear. I know that it's possible, and I know that I will survive. I will regroup and come up with the next media. See my point here? That's how it works. Because we are not generals. We are we're working on our feet, and we're escaping. Uh, we live in the wasteland, basically. So that's the only way you can live in the wasteland. Be small and be fast. What do you personally think about the fact that, you know, there's like... <sighs> the two broad categories are state-owned media and quote-unquote independent media, which generally tend to have individuals behind them in the form of investors or like an owner. Like you were saying with N plus one, you had to sort of deal with them. And each one has its own dynamics of like how much that investor influences what's written or not written. And like, just as a person who's worked in a couple of really big Russian publications, like, do you, do you have any sort of, um, footnote to the term independent or like a sort of like how would you describe the state of independent media because it's really I really honestly think this is an important question for um, Americans to hear because they are very like simplistic in the way they think about Russian media it's either like scary Putin state media which Putin literally writes himself or like comes in and like you know whatever tells people what to put on the tv every day or whatever um, or it's like you know good media where everyone's free so i'm just like could you could you footnote that a little bit yeah okay it's simple you are 
your independence is your problem. See, that's the thing. You, when we were discussing with my uh, uh, investor the terms of the investment, the thing the first we discussed was a number of shares we have. And in our case, the editorial stuff, like me and uh, the CEO of our company, we work together. We do have majority of shares. See, he has the less shares and he has some priorities in terms of if we talk about selling our uh, media to someone. But all the decisions, all the editorial decisions we make, and it's up to you to keep your media independent. It's not about, like, there is a... See, independence is something... Uh, it's some idealistic it's idealistic structure, construction. It lives in your head. But it's like being an honest person. You cannot be honest person 100% of the time. Sometimes you lie. That shit happens. But it's okay. You're trying to be uh, honest as much as possible same thing here what you need to do is you need you need to get your shit together and make media independent making it dependent only on your readers that's what we always keep in mind like people read us because we provide them with a news from particle physics like no one does that they read us because we can find news from mathematics really real mathematics no one does that see that's the thing. Uh, we chose a direction and we follow it because we chose this direction. It sounds like really dumb because it does not give you that, uh, you know, strategic overview. But I think it's not dumb. I think it's how it works. You choose the direction and you just work your ass off in this direction and see where it leads to. So it's simple. Hmm. Yeah. So when you say, well, again, that's how I work. The, the, if you say about independent media, like Telekanal Dost, right? So Dost channel, they're not independent. Yes. See, you can see because they, um, that's, that's a hard question for me to answer. Because when I say they're not independent, I'm kind of, you know, like trashing them. But trashing them in case when state media is trashing them, I don't think it's polite. Okay. See, like, I know, I know what you mean, but just can you just explain what you mean, and people will understand that well, you're not trashing them. Okay, I'll try. I'll try to answer you like this. Well, all independence comes from a specific person. Lentor was independent because Galina Timchenko was there. See, that's mm -hmm. what I've learned. Mm -hmm. And the only thing media can be independent if there is a person who like puts his life in. Uh, into this, in making his media independent, in making the guys that work for him, like for her, in case of Galina, to be independent. We could do anything we wanted because she shielded us from the upper management. See? Mm -hmm. So that, that is the point. So basically, the independence comes from the specific people. So that's it. And what's the deal with Dost? Like, what's the... What, what was the specific case there? Well, they do try to blend in, you know, because uh, they had as that they had that fallout, and they now are trying to blend in. They like, for example, visit, um, you know, like uh, when in um, in White House they do off the record meetings. Yeah. Like the journalists come and they speak with them, like, uh, but it's off the record. And you leave this meeting with some sort of information you cannot actually tell your um, readers about. Well, they do the same thing here. They do these meetings with uh, people from presidential administration. And Dost visits them, see? He plays, at some point, he plays by the rules. I don't know how good it is. See? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm not the one to judge. I have no ties with uh, any sort of Russian government whatsoever. But what I've, if I were uh, like the editor-in-chief of Dorsta, I wouldn't do that. I see. Yeah. I That's see the only thing I can say, yes. 
Did you ever work for Medusa? No. Okay. But that's where Galina is. Yes. Okay. Yes. Just checking. Just kidding. I got all my facts straight. Um, <laughs> yeah. And like Medusa, their position is that they're part of their like at least effort to independence has to do with them being located outside the country. Yes. And it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. Why is that? It influences your scope. You do not see. Uh, see, if you want to um, do the apocalypses chronicles, like the chronicles of the end of the world, that's basically what they do. It being it, the end of the world, being the end of Russia. Mm -hmm. You need to do it from the within. You can do it from outside. This has been awesome. I think we should, yeah, we should probably wrap it up because we've already taken like so many hours of your time. Um, so thank you. Welcome. For this really, really interesting conversation and lecture. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but it really was. It's so cool that you could tell us like um, the history of comedy. We're not expecting that. It's really cool. Well, uh, it's, it's just, if you don't know, I do... Uh, do hold the position as an assistant professor in Moscow State University. So it's very hard for me not to lecture anyone. I do know that, but you teach math, right? Yes, I do teach math. But still, what, what does the difference? What, what, what's the difference? I mean, you start telling stuff and suddenly, <laughs> instead of like saying a story, you come up with a lecture. That's very cool. I mean, I really like that. I prefer that format. <laughs> I like to be told. It's nice. Yeah, it's really cool. Well, yeah, it was great talking to you. So thanks again. Bye. Okay, bye. Go, 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 go. This shit feels like I won't ever make it home. That's the episode. Thanks for listening. Go ahead and support us on patreon.com slash she's in Russia. Follow us on Telegram and Twitter at she's in Russia. Sign up for a monthly image-based newsletter at she'sinrussia.com. And be sure to check out all of uh, Andre's things. We have linked them in the bio. Right. In the description. Excuse me, it's very late. In the description. And we will see you next week. Goodbye. is the one uh, which who does the voice of uh, in Ice Age that the most weird guy with a lisp what's his name? The Sloth? The sloth? Yes, no. the Sloth. The He's sloth. Da he oh, does nice. the voice oh for the Sloth. Oh my god, I love that voice. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs>